0: Good morning, King of Grace Church, and welcome. I'm glad that we can join in this uh, virtual environment. I'm glad to be able to um, speak to my church family. If you don't know me, if you're joining us as a guest or visitor, then thank you for being with us this morning. My name is Toby Gaynor. I'm one of the pastors here at King of Grace Church, and I'm glad that you're joining us for this Palm Sunday service, and I uh, pray that we'll meet you as he meets us all through this time together. Uh, For those of us uh, who uh, do meet with us regularly, you know that we are um, normally preaching through a sermon series in the book of Exodus. Uh, We we are pausing that for today being Palm Sunday and next week uh, for Easter. Um, But through today's message, I trust that uh, we're going to continue to see God's providence and his planning both in the connection of this Palm Sunday message to our series in Exodus as well as a connection to our present need in the midst of the global crisis dealing with covid-19 both in the virus itself and the measures in place to stop or limit its spread and the impact of both of these things upon our lives as we've seen in the book of exodus uh, we've seen god's rescue for his people out of slavery of egypt as they celebrated the first Passover as it occurred and was established as an annual reminder uh, and a feast for God's people in Israel. In our our passage this morning, which we're going to read from John chapter 12, we're going to read of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem before the feast of Passover is to be celebrated, some 1,500 years after that first Passover experience. And as we consider this passage... We're going to see God's people's expectations of God in light of great national need and excitement, as well as we're going to understand from John's Gospel what John intends for his readers to see as a lesson for us today in the midst of great national and global need. We're going to see the great confidence with which we can submit our needs to God and how to align our hopes and our expectations with what he will do as we rejoice in what he has done in and through his Son, Jesus Christ. Let me give a little context to our passage before we turn there. As I say we're going to be looking in John chapter 12, and then we'll read God's Word together. This passage comes as we approach the climax of Jesus' life and ministry. He's travelled throughout the regions of Galilee and Judea, proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, healing the sick and performing various signs and miracles that reveal the truth of his message and who he is, the Son of God. And during his ministry, he's been making disciples and some of those disciples have followed him around as he's travelled around. Others have remained in their hometowns. And examples of those who stay in their hometown are the siblings, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And Jesus has likely had several encounters with this family, um, probably none more profound and impacting upon them than the one we read about in John chapter 11, where Jesus suffers from an illness and eventually dies. He's buried, and yet four days later, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and restores him to his family. Now, their hometown of Bethany was only a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, so we can imagine that this kind of news and the news of this miracle travels fast and gets the attention of everyone in Jerusalem and the surrounding villages and the towns. And with our passage today, we're at a point where Jesus now turns his attention to go to Jerusalem knowing full well what awaits him there his timing is deliberate in the lead up to Passover and he and his disciples journey to Jerusalem and before they get there they stop overnight at their friend's house Mary Martha and Lazarus in Bethany at the beginning of chapter 12 and as we finally get to our passage we're nearly getting there um, we hear about two crowds in this story starting in verse uh, 12 which is where we'll be reading The first crowd has come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And as you can imagine, this is a massive gathering in God's holy city. The second crowd are the crowd of people who saw Jesus' miracle in raising Lazarus from the dead when they gathered for what they thought was going to be a funeral service, which turns into a feast and celebration. And when they heard that Jesus was near to town, this crowd goes to see him in Bethany. Now these two groups would have obviously been connected and intermingled. So many of the people in and around Jerusalem at this time of the passage, they were either excited and full of great expectations as they prepared to celebrate Passover together, or they were excited and full of great expectations as they went to go see Jesus, or they were excited with great expectations for both of those reasons. And as we look at our passage today, we're going to see three things. We're going to see expectations revealed. We're going to see expectations misaligned. And we're going to see expectations met. And once we've considered those three points, we'll conclude by thinking about what all of this means for us today, and especially in light of our current crisis in the world around us. So, If you have a Bible, then please do turn to John chapter 12. Um, Verse 12 is where we're going to start. We're going to read through to verse 19. And I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, keep that open in front of you. We'll be referencing the passage um, throughout the message. So John chapter 12, starting in verse 12. We read, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. God's word to us in John chapter 12. Let me pray. Father, we want to see you this morning. And just as these crowds celebrated the arrival of Jesus, so we want to see and celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. So please help me to articulate your truth. Help us to hear and to receive all that you would show us of your Son this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, the first thing we see then in this passage is expectations revealed. We see uh, that in the expectation of the crowd, both is revealed through their words and their actions, and John also helpfully explains it to us directly. See, the crowd that had gathered for Passover, they gathered palm branches, and they waved them, or they actually laid them on the road. We read about that in the other accounts of this um, entry from the other gospel writers. And they cry out, Hosanna. Now their words and their actions reveal their expectation for this man entering the city. Palm branches were a symbol of victory and celebration. And Hosanna means something along the lines of, God save us. They also weave into their praise words from Psalm 118. These words blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This was a common psalm used in the lead up and celebration of Passover as they remembered God's deliverance from Egypt. And they add as well these words not found in the psalm, a title for Jesus the King of Israel. Altogether it's the people had high expectations of Jesus expectations that Jesus was the promised Messiah God's chosen one from the line of King David come to restore God's rule and reign over his people and his kingdom clearly God is with him and has given him the power to accomplish great things even as John tells us in verse 18 that he raises the dead back to life so surely This is the one God has promised to bring salvation to his people. Well, what salvation did they need? What were they looking for? Well, in first century Palestine, it was very clearly and obviously Roman occupation and rule. Although the Jewish people had a daily ritual and religion that was allowed to continue under the rule and occupation of a foreign power, they nevertheless were under a puppet governor of Pilate reporting to Rome and enforcing Roman rule upon them. They were forced to pay taxes to fuel a Roman economy and fuel the occupation of the land of God's people. And it's understandable why, especially at the lead-up to Passover, as the Jewish people remembered and celebrated God's mighty victory over the oppression of pharaoh and the jewish slavery in egypt that the people would have a heightened expectation that the arrival of god's king meant freedom from occupying roman force and authority even after Jesus' resurrection the main question to jesus on the disciples minds their main expectation we read about in acts chapter 1 verse 6 which says they, they ask this question lord Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's all very understandable why the people would have these expectations revealed to us in this passage. And if we didn't know better, I think, if we didn't know the rest of the story, we might share these expectations as we read of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. But we do have the rest of the picture. And the rest of the picture shows us that there is a problem a disconnect, a misalignment between the crowd's expectations and the salvation that Jesus came to deliver. And that brings us to the second thing we see from the passage, that we are dealing with expectations misaligned. Have you ever been told about something or someone and that you really just must go and see? Maybe family or friends talk about this amazing restaurant or a great movie or a fantastic band. And so eventually, um, having heard all this, you decide to go and see them for yourself, experience it for yourself. And obviously your expectations are based on what you've been told. And have you ever had the experience where what you've experienced for yourself left you disappointed? Wondering maybe you've missed something that others not sore or maybe they were having an off night when you were there or received whatever it is they were giving you well imagine for a moment that you were part of the crowd who had journeyed to Jerusalem ready to celebrate Passover and one of your close friends happened to be one of the witnesses who saw firsthand Lazarus' resurrection from the dead by Jesus Of course, they told you all about it. In fact, they haven't stopped telling you all about it and about how amazing this Jesus person is. You've also caught wind. You've heard a little bit about Jesus' teaching and you've heard of some of his other miracles. And, And to be honest, you really would like to go and see him. You'd like to meet him for yourself, but you just haven't been in the right place at the right time. Well, shortly after arriving at Jerusalem, You hear through a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another friend that Jesus is staying just outside the city and he's going to be coming to the city for Passover. Well, this is it. This is your chance to see and perhaps even meet the great preacher and miracle worker. Perhaps even to confirm for yourself whether the rumors are true. That this could be the promised Messiah. God's King come to lead his people and bring them salvation. So of course you go along with everybody else to see Jesus and you can't be helped, can't help but be caught up into the hype and the excitement. And by the time you're standing by the road, you find yourself with a palm branch in your hand and you're shouting as loudly as everybody else. Well at that point in your mind, what are you expecting to see? There's no pictures or photographs, so you don't know what Jesus looks like. But you've got a good idea of what a king coming into the great city of Jerusalem would look like. After all, you've heard about Roman victory parades. So perhaps you expect to see Jesus' head appear first as he rides above the crowd, riding in on this mighty warhorse. Or perhaps he'll be on foot, marching proudly at the head of his troops or his disciples. That is surely how God's conquering king would present himself to his people and claim his position in God's royal city. So what happens to those expectations when you do finally see this King Jesus riding into Jerusalem? Not on a majestic warhorse, but on a humble donkey. Maybe you do a bit of a double take Maybe you glance around just to see if anyone else seems a little disappointed or surprised. It would be a bit of a letdown, wouldn't it? Perhaps you shrug your shoulders and you excuse it away. Maybe that's all that Jesus could find. Perhaps one of his disciples was in charge of arrangements and they booked economy rather than premium transport. Regardless, most likely your expectations in that moment would be severely shaken as might the readers of John's account up to that point. And fast forward one week. Would anything be left of those expectations when this King Jesus is hanging by nails on a Roman cross? It is of small comfort then, when John tells us in verse 16, that even Jesus' disciples didn't understand what was going on at the time. But how does John help us make sense of these unmet expectations? Is the answer to lower our expectations, lower the level of what we expect Jesus can meet? Is the problem with Jesus? Well, of course it isn't. But John makes clear where the problem lies. It is with his disciples, and it is with us. If Jesus doesn't fulfill the expectations we have for him, that then that means our expectations are misaligned with Jesus and the path that he's on. John makes very clear in verse 15 that Jesus' choice of transport wasn't an unfortunate mistake or the best that he could manage given limited resources. This is Jesus' preference, his intention. And not just his intention in the moment he woke up that morning feeling like a donkey ride, but this was his intention that had been written down over 500 years earlier by the prophet Zechariah and preserved in Scripture for this very moment. John also makes clear that what we have, we, everything we see here is exactly as Jesus intended. John has told his readers already about another time that people were ready to proclaim Jesus as king and he deliberately avoided it because that wasn't his way or time. Just after Jesus had fed the 5,000 with only a few loaves of bread and fish and still had leftovers beside, we read in John chapter 6 verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus has seen this excitement and expectation before. So in today's passage in John, in John chapter 12, Jesus wasn't just caught up by the crowd's enthusiasm, trying to meet their expectations best he could. Rather, everything we see here, his timing, the circumstances, was as Jesus intended. Which means that if the crowd's expectations of Jesus, if the disciples' expectations of Jesus, if your expectations of Jesus and mine aren't met by the Jesus we see here, then the misalignment belongs with us. And we would do well to submit our expectations to Jesus for evaluation and adjustment, to be brought back into alignment with him and to God's plan for his son. And that brings us to the third thing to see. As John explains to us, that as things work out according to Jesus' plan, he does all that God the Father asked of him. And so we see expectations met. It's not that the people get it totally wrong about Jesus being the King of Israel. He meets every expectation set before him for that role. Just not the expectations of the people. Rather, is the expectations of the Father. Jesus doesn't come as the proud, conquering king, riding triumphant, but humble, submitted as a king, knowing that salvation and victory will come at a cost, a massive cost and sacrifice, a sacrifice that still lies before him. And it's not until that, after that sacrifice that the Father's expectations... And that Jesus met those expectations completely become clear to John and the disciples. As John says in verse 16, it was only when Jesus was glorified did they understand the true meaning of these events. A few verses after our passage that we've been looking at this morning, in verse 23 we read these words by Jesus. And Jesus answered them, talking to his disciples, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The week after the events of our passage today, just before Jesus was arrested and taken away to be crucified, he prayed to his Father in these words in John chapter 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's expectations met. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus' death on a Roman cross was God's plan and the plan that Jesus willingly and intentionally submitted himself to. God the Son meeting all the expectations of God the Father. Jesus promises his, his disciples that after he had gone, his Holy Spirit would come upon them and teach them all things and bring to remembrance all that he had said to them. So it's only later, after Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, that the, and after the disciples are given the Holy Spirit, that their understanding is complete and their expectations are finally aligned with God and King Jesus. And so they would have seen the glorious expectations of God for his son. And they would have seen just how significantly misaligned their original expectations really were from God's. It's not just that they were misaligned about the donkey the king would ride on. They were grossly misaligned about the salvation the king would bring. You see, the celebration that people gave that their king is coming, is only good news worth celebrating if the king is coming to save you. It's only good news worth celebrating if you've been a good and loyal servant to the throne and faithful to the king's decrees. For anyone else, for those who have deliberately rejected the king's authority and have turned their backs on his ways, The king's return is not a cause for celebration, but should be a cause for terror. Terror that the king would bring these rebels to account and subject them to his justice. And that's what everyone in today's story deserved. The crowds, the disciples, you and me. We all deserve God's judgment for living Lives the lives he gives to us in our own way rejecting his rightful rule over us and setting ourselves up as our own rulers of our own lives and our own destinies deciding for ourselves what to call right and wrong all these things the Bible calls sin for God's king to have entered Jerusalem to bring justice against God's enemies would have been a terrifying and devastating thing for all of us. And that is why it is such good news that Jesus did not come to meet man's expectations riding on a war horse, but rather came to meet God's expectations riding on a donkey, humble and submitted to the Father's plan. It is good news that Jesus came to meet God's plan for salvation for rebel sinners like you and like me. This is explained for us in just a few verses after our passage in discussions by those who were plotting to kill Jesus. Later in chapter 11, uh, verse 49, we read this, that Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Jesus' victory for God's people was not won by his entrance to Jerusalem, but by his exit. As he carried out a cross to Golgotha, and there was crucified, not for his own sin or wrongdoing, but for the sins of mankind, for you and for me. One man dying for the people, bearing God's judgment that you and I deserved, taking the punishment, not just physical death, but separation from God, a punishment that you and I deserved to receive for all eternity. And Jesus humbly, and willingly took this punishment and this death upon himself. And yet, as we remember and celebrate all year round, but especially next week at Easter, death could not hold this king, the Son of God. He rose from the dead to confirm and offer forgiveness and eternal life to all who would turn to him, who would trust in his death for their own, and receive Him as the King and Savior. In John chapter 3, verse 36, we read these words, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the glorious good news of the gospel that is on offer to everyone. Eternal life, starting now with his life-giving spirit in us and with us and eternity in God's presence for all who believe. That was God's expectations for his son, the King of Israel. Expectations that Jesus met completely. So what does this all mean for us today? Well, the very first thing... If you have not already, there is nothing more important and nothing more pressing. Please, would you consider and accept this humble Jesus as your Savior and King? Repent of your sin and of your rebellion against God. Trust Jesus to take away your sin and your punishment and your guilt at the cross. Receive the new life that he offers starting right now, and with God's power to live for him. If that's you, then again, I implore you, there is nothing of more importance than you to consider the invitation, the offer of eternal life, in contrast to the judgment that lays on all of us if we don't accept Jesus as our Savior. And if that's you this morning hearing that and receiving that message, that invitation to yourself, then we want to help you. I'd love to be able to connect with you. As a church, we want to help you and support you. Um, I'm trusting that somehow through Facebook, Zoom, or our website, you can message us us somehow, message me. I would love to connect with you directly, talk with you, pray with you. I'd also love to send you a free copy of John's Gospel. Um, If you haven't already got hold of a copy um, of the Bible, we can send that to you. So please reach out to us through our website or some other means. We would want to get hold of, of how we can help and serve you in that way. The second thing that we want to apply here is that for those of us already living with Jesus as our king, rejoice again in your salvation. Meditate on the good news that King Jesus did not come to deliver man's expectations, but God's expectations. And that in doing so, he brought you and I salvation. The eternal truth of the gospel is glorious and sufficient to fuel our joy in Christ Jesus every day, whatever our circumstances. Reflect again on this great truth and rejoice and give thanks and praise to God. And the third and final application from this morning relates to our present circumstances as I'm sure we're all of us are bringing hopes and expectations to God. And it is absolutely right that we do so. He is our Heavenly Father. He loves to hear us, and He loves to give us good things. Some of us as a church and as a body of believers nationally spent time yesterday or portions of yesterday in prayer and fasting, seeking God specifically over His need, His help for us in this crisis. And there is still uh, a link via Facebook, via our website, I think, but certainly through the Gospel Coalition website, you can still access um, yesterday's prayer and fasting material. There's a great guide there you can still use. Use that to pray for sick, for the sick and for healing. Pray for the medical profession. Pray for our local and national leaders. Pray for churches. I encourage you to to reference that, um, and I'm sure you were blessed if you were part of that yesterday. And I'm sure each of us brings very personal and specific prayers to God, hopes and expectations to Him. I imagine that many of them revolve around asking God to restore our lives, restore them to normal, to get back to work, to sustain our family or to meet the needs of our employees to get back to school to complete our studies to see family to see friends give them a hug Maybe for you, the most pressing thing has nothing to do with COVID-19. You were seeking God before this crisis, and you are still seeking God. Whatever you are bringing to God and the expectations you bring to Him, today's passage shows what it means to bring our expectations to Jesus and to receive him as God's king. If he is our king, then we submit everything to him. Even our expectations. And that means accepting sometimes that we may be misaligned with his expectations. And his expectations are always best. Today's passage is not meant to squash our expectations, or to encourage us to give up bringing them to him because whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Rather, today's passage is intended to build hope and expectation as we see how he gave us his very own son to undeserving people, and how we can now trust him to provide based on his steadfast love for his people. The psalm the crowd referenced in their praise of King Jesus, Psalm 118, includes this refrain at the beginning and the end of that psalm. It says, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That means, brothers and sisters, that we can submit our expectations in this crisis to the loving care of King Jesus. Knowing that if things are not returned to normal, if your career path, or if your business, if your academic career is permanently changed because of this crisis, if there are relationships that are permanently affected, or even loved ones gone from this world, or if that long-term need that you had before the crisis remains a long-term need after the crisis, it means that we can remember that according to our expectations, we would not have placed our king on a donkey, neither would we have placed him on a cross. And yet God's good and glorious plan that brought us forgiveness, and eternal life is what Jesus accomplished. And we can trust that God's ways are best and perfect for us. So brothers and sisters, petition God. Come to Him with your hopes and expectations and submit your expectations to King Jesus as you rejoice in the glory of His gospel. Let me close with this final comment. As the Pharisees closed today's passage in verse 19 with what they didn't realize, I think, was a prophetic comment. They say this, Look, they kind of shrug their shoulders, Look, the world has gone after him. Church, let us pray that it would do so again. And as I close by holding out to you the Apostle John's vision of heaven, to leave us with hope and expectation for what God is doing and what he has always been doing. We read in Revelation chapter 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, you are our King. And we praise you and give you all honor and glory. For you have come as our Savior. And we praise you and thank you that you came not to meet man's expectations but to perfectly fulfill those of your fathers so that we now can look to you and know that you are our Lord and our Savior and that we do not need to stand condemned but can rather receive forgiveness and eternal life and hope for today. So I pray, Lord, that you would apply this word, this truth to our hearts again. Help us rejoice in this great and glorious gospel of the salvation that we have because of your life given for ours. And help us to submit eagerly with great anticipation and expectation everything that we would need and want and lay that before you and receive in faith all that you would give to us, knowing that you are good and that your steadfast love endures forever. To the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.